0: Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast.
1: Hello, welcome to the ESPN Footy Pod. We've had our grand final. The Crows are the premiers once again. I think it's fair to say we have ourselves a dynasty here. We'll get into that chat as well as a breakdown of this grand final. All the wonderful stories that have come out of it. We can't wait to crack into it. Before we begin, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For this big grand final review, you have myself, Marissa Lordanic, Marnie Vinyl and Anna Harrington. So let's talk about the game. It was an absolute cracker and in the end it really went I think the way we all expected it to the Crows ended up winning quite not quite convincingly but like I said it went the way I think a lot of us expected it to Marnie you were at the ground so we will get your takes on the vibes the atmosphere and everything you saw from the stands in Adelaide Oval but Harrow I'll let you go first in terms of what you saw from this game, what we saw unfold and ultimately this Crows win. I don't want to say we were right, but we were
0: talking about um, in our preview about how the Crows can be suffocating with their pressure, about how they can force you to make silly decisions, about how they can, I (laughs) I guess, just feel all-encompassing when you're attempting to kick the ball inside 50 because they just pick it off. And, they did exactly that. It must have been so frustrating for, for mixed in and code because you talk about the lessons that you learn from um, the last time they played or the first time they played this year, and that's what Adelaide had done. They'd suffocated them. They uh, We know that Melbourne loves to pick passes and they have this lovely ball movement when it gets going and um, it relies really heavily on clean kicking. And when you're seeing even the likes of a uh, Karen Paxman, who is an elite user of the, of the footy, um, Putting short kicks in just inside, you know, 45, 50, and them getting chopped off, you know, it's just not working. Um, so, Adelaide, I think, deserve a lot of credit to take it, for taking that approach again. And realistically, it won them the game, along with a few other things. <laughs> like, Anne Hatchard was sensational, really, from go to woe. Like, she was probably the difference. Um, Danielle Ponta stood up time and time again in big moments. I know not all her shots <laughs> went through for goals but it felt like every time Adelaide scored they were um that she was involved but yeah for, for Melbourne it, it must have just been so frustrating to know that the the second half showed that they could go with Adelaide that they could compete that they could put them on the back foot but it takes a lot of energy to get yourself sort of I guess really back into the game and then they just sort of lost a little bit of puff um, when it came to conversion we saw Paxman and Mithen um, they're able to convert, and that that wasn't the reason that they lost. But I think Adelaide just was so brilliant in that first half that it made an, an actual fight back really difficult. And I mentioned Ponta standing up when the time came to ice the game and you know sort of snuff out any chance for a comeback. She was the one there, so just well coached by Adelaide. Their big players step up at big times, like Phillips in the second quarter. They they just got it right. They double teamed Taylor Harris, and Melbourne sort of didn't really work it out in terms of their other forwards providing other options, their midfielders having maybe the awareness to pick out the other options under pressure as well. I have mentioned Adelaide's pressure being so suffocating, just well-coached, well-executed, big players stepping up big times. And I think if you're you're Melbourne, it's it's a massive learning experience. It's very hard to to mount comebacks. We know they've done it in previous seasons, but on grand final day, the Crows just know how to get it done. And they've done it again, three times three-time premiers. I mean, they've won three of the five grand finals and they've been in four of them. It's extraordinary. Uh, and and what I don't think anyone could say they didn't deserve that victory completely on the weekend.
2: Yeah, I think that Melbourne would probably agree with you with that. I know Daisy in her uh, post-match speech, you know, she did say that Adelaide set the bar and she said it throughout the season, that Adelaide do just really set the benchmark for the standards of the competition and the rest of the club's, try and reach them and beat them and ultimately fail in doing that because they have won three out of five premierships. And, you know, Adelaide have just been that thorn in Melbourne's side. They lost, you know, Melbourne lost the preliminary final to um, Adelaide last season. And then this season, the only games that Melbourne lost in the home and away season, they only lost one game. It was to Adelaide. They only lost one final. It was... To Adelaide they are just such a such a strong team I would say a dynasty I'm not um I, I can't believe is it dynasty or dynasty and you said dynasty Marissa but um, I'm trying to drill it into me to say dynasty but um yeah we definitely are in that Adelaide's um dynasty which is really exciting I think it's really exciting to have a team that's in their premiership window and sets that bar of the benchmark and shows what the competition can be. They've got such diversity when it comes to skill set across their entire side, their forwards really know how to make the most of opportunities on goal. Their mids, I mean, Hatchard and Marinoff and then the likes of Rochelle Martin, who I don't think gets talked about enough because she's on a team with such stars, but her relentless pressure, she's just, oh, I love watching Martin. I think she's probably my favourite to watch in the, the defence, you know, spearheaded by Randall. It's really hard to get past. And I really like what you said, Harrow, about, you know, those short kicks from Paxman and things like that, because Adelaide had 16 fewer disposals and lost the clearance count by six, but they were just more efficient with the ball movement. So when Melbourne, you know, peppered the inside 50, but then were just absolutely chopped off by Adelaide. And when Adelaide got hands on the ball, they could make more come from it and ultimately get those goals and it really just it really just was their day really interesting for me to sit. I saw the three quarters of the game I was in the outer and then the last I went in the media box and we went there and dad bought our tickets and he had us smack bang in the middle of the crows fan base like we were right behind where they run off like run into the game. It was like, of course you did, Dad. So it was really interesting just being smack bang um, in Crow's fandom because that's the first time that that's happened to me. Um, and it was really exciting. And just the fandom that this league has started is really building. At one point, I got stuck with a uh, very nice gentleman, and happily stuck. But he was just ta- like talking to me about all these players and how obsessed he is with all of them. And it was a really nice moment. We talk a lot about how much this league is growing and developing and to see that within the fandom and especially at Adelaide, because, you know, it's their dynasty. They're doing so well.
0: I said it was a bit disappointing to see the end crowd number touch over 16,000. Um, Matthew Clark had said pregame, I oh, hope we can get 55, um, you know, surpassing that 53K. Um, but I know that COVID plays a role. People are maybe more nervous to go to big events, but I reckon they still would have surely been hoping for at least 25, 30K to to get along.
2: Yeah, I think community sport plays such a bigger role than maybe mm-hmm. we yeah. we think because even on the way like from the airport towards the game, we just passed. community sport after community sport and when the the league's fans you know they really are targeting families and young kids and when they're all busy at their own games that really does have a pretty big effect I think on crowd numbers and also just I think everyone's tired from the pandemic like Melbourne International Comedy Festival numbers are down like it's not just sport it's all events everywhere that people are just tired. The
0: 12 p.m kick off as you say on a day where it's going to be community and junior sport like you just physically cannot get to that if you've got any sort of game about like 9 or 10 a.m i imagine i'm no expert yeah. on the roads of adelaide but i imagine anywhere it's it'd be difficult i think matthew clive yeah. actually flagged that pre-game about that the clashes they thought it would create so it's maybe something that the afl do have to look at and we know yeah. the talk about the season starting in august and um, whether we see that you would think that means we're going to see a, a standalone event so maybe night grand final you know that sort of thing like I don't mind if it's not all day to be honest but standalone in a good time slot if it's going to be day it's got to be a strong time slot not a a 12 p.m local or 12 30 um eastern um I imagine partly to to fit in with tv demands because clearly the the crowd not showing up uh would would indicate that it was not a favorable time and my view is always especially if you're going to play games at big stadiums we saw it the week before at the mcg you've got to be filling it out a fair bit because otherwise it feels like no one's rocked up right even when you do have you know nearly seventeen thousand, which is a not something to be sneezed at as far as a crowd goes but if you want to fill a big stadium you've you've got to actually put all the things in place to do so i saw a lot of talk a couple of weeks ago i think the age might have had a story about it about you know the barcelona real madrid sellout crowd and how aflw hopes to draw on it those tickets went on sale forever ago and that was getting hyped up for ages yeah. and i know you can't you can't say oh well you can do that with a final but you can't do that with a final because you don't know who's going to be playing but it's not a realistic comparison but you you've got to do everything in your power to make it as easy as possible for people to attend the game especially if you're going to have it a at a big venue so that just disappointed me a little bit it, it was great to there's the fans that were there made plenty of noise and it sounded like he had a rip of time on but it would have been great to see a bigger number I reckon
2: yeah I think the home advantage of the final in the AFLW is awesome but I don't know how much it's great. going to affect yeah affect these crowd numbers when you know even i am seeing all over Twitter people calling for the AFLM fixture to be released because people want to plan ahead what games they can go to when you don't know where the final is going to be seven days out, that makes it quite hard to attend. Yeah, I, I like the away
0: final. I think mm. Marissa and I obviously follow this, the soccer where you see that happen in the, in the A leagues, um, men's and women's competition. I think it's great. There's no way you're getting 16,000 to that game if they're just holding it at the MCJ. Oh, well, if it wasn't Melbourne. If you had Adelaide-Brisbane, sorry, for example, and you held that at the MCG, I don't think you're getting that sort of crowd. Mm. I think you need the homie crowd, and I think it works really well. Um, mm. I think it's more just a timing factor and those sorts of things. But mm. anyway, it's, it's clearly the crows fed off the atmosphere they got because they were sensational. Um, yeah. I, and I, I, they, they are sensational.
2: <laughs> and I did also just want to point out how awesome it was that they had so many flags and within that they had the non-binary flag right behind goal. They had so many LGBTQI flags. It it was just really cool to see that, not just, you know, in Pride Round but at the grand final. That was a highlight for me for sure. I was just going to get
0: back to in-game briefly. I wanted to mention the player who I thought was fantastic, which was um, Gabby Colvin and Sinead Goldrick from the Demons, I thought were both excellent. Goldrick in particular, I saw, I think it was on Instagram, that she had her parents fly out from Ireland to the game yeah. obviously, the, mm. obviously the the result wasn't there but I thought she was clearly Melbourne's best was in and under everything taking courageous marks trying to save goals um on a day where maybe some of their um I guess bigger lights like Paxman obviously lifted in the third quarter Tyler Hanks I thought was quiet by her standards like a, a few feel these players were sort of outshone by their Adelaide counterparts I thought she really stood up like big efforts um consistently good And I reckon, I don't know if having the family in the crowd I gave you that extra lift, but they'd have to be pretty proud of how she went. Um, I'm interested, Marnie, in your thoughts on where did Melbourne go from here? Uh, Mm. Because for me, the the best thing that happened to them was when they moved and maybe it was a quarter too late. I understand you want to give players a chance to fix it. It was when they put Daisy Pearce behind the ball. Um, Because she obviously wasn't getting near it up forward. Um, She really, I thought, gave them some direction. Her kicking is mm. so precise. She's very calm, very composed. She doesn't blaze away. Um, she's more likely to try and pick the kicks. And I think that sort of started to flow through the team, that sense of composure. But as a general rule, where, where do Melbourne go to from here? Because they've been picked apart from by Adelaide. But you never want to, I think Daisy said it quite well, you don't want to you know, <laughs> just go, oh, we've got to throw everything away because we lost the grand final. Like, they're, they're very close. They were pretty clearly the second best team in the comp this year. We're, Where do they go to from here?
2: Yeah, I mean, the top two finish, same amount of points as Adelaide, only lost to them by percentage and then unbeaten by every other team in the competition. I reckon Melbourne is playing a really good brand of footy and they should keep sticking to their guns when it comes to that, especially because you've got so much youth that they're really backing. Like they're putting a lot of belief in the likes of Eliza McNamara and Alyssa Bannon and that seems to be really paying off for them as a team. And... We'll talk about trade and expansion, but ultimately, like it will affect all of these clubs and all of these sides. It will definitely affect Adelaide. And I'm not sure how much it will affect Melbourne. I feel like they've got a really strong playing group that seem to really fit into that Melbourne culture. And all we can do is really speculate until news comes out. But if they aren't, you know, significantly rattled by expansion, then they could be the best club going into next season and their trajectory they're on such a good trajectory because you know they went from uh, not making finals and then the following year it was COVID and they made finals but then COVID cut the season short and then they make finals they make a prelim so they've gone not finals to semi-final to prelim to grand final the trajectory showing that next year is their year I don't know. I, I see them just sticking to the brand of football that they're playing, the way that they're playing, the players in their positions. I think it's really actually working quite well for them.
0: And we talked about it, um, I think, in the preview pod. When you look at the AFLW best and fairest, you have Adelaide with two of the top three and Melbourne, not a huge amount of votes for anyone in particular, but they were quite well spread, which, which indicates they've got a good spread of talent yeah. and, you know, we see a lot of consistent contributors. So it's, yeah, the likes of a, a Kate Hoare, for example, who just, you know, popped up in here. I mentioned Hanks before. It's, Yeah, Purcell's only going to get better. Mm. Obviously came off an ACL this year. Um, Mithin's very reliable. And I think it is worth touching on Taylor Harris briefly because I did see people get stuck into her straight away. I think it was zero touches at halftime. She just had that one good grab that she ended up passing off to Paxman. Well, I think she described in an interview on the lead up, uh, Chelsea Randall as her kryptonite, and it was certainly that again. Mm. Um, she does have that unenviable stat now of being the first player across the men's and women's leagues to not only appear in a grand final for three different teams, but to lose all three of those grand finals and to the same opponent every yeah, time. Yeah, also Adelaide. So, <laughs> the poor thing, you, you just had to feel for her because it was mm. it was awful, and I'm sure she would have known she didn't have the impact on the game she would like, but. It was a real credit to Adelaide, I thought, the way that they handled her. We knew that Randall could do the athleticism and they often had um, Bedell go with her as well. So it was a really disciplined Mm. team effort from Adelaide. And I think Melbourne would have been kicking themselves that they probably didn't, as I mentioned earlier, capitalize on that earlier in the sense of, well, if a couple of them are dealing with Taylor, who's getting free? Who's getting out? How can we... Lower the eyes or, or look elsewhere, and maybe get a bit more penetration with some of those inside fifties. I felt like Melbourne moved the ball so slowly at times, and I know that they like to be patient. And the the other option is you blaze it in, but at times where they got a quick turnover, a quick run on, they were still trying to be maybe a bit too patient with the ball rather than trying to take advantage of um of that quick counter. So I'm sure they'll look at it all in the wash, but. It was something that, uh, that did strike him with the demons and maybe something, because we saw them do it against Brisbane to great effect, right? They were getting slowed down. Harris was getting targeted. So they used the speed of, as you mentioned, Marnie McNamara and Bannon to really great effect. And maybe do we see a little bit more of that come into their game next season? I, I don't know, but I think it would be good for them to know it's a reliable, um, I guess, switch they can turn on when they need to.
2: Yeah, and um, to your point, they had seven selections in the AFLW All-Australian squad of 40. So they're doing something right.
0: Adelaide, Marissa, I would love your thoughts. How much of this team are they going to keep together? I write it as my sort of sidebar to this grand final of this creating a dynasty. They're barely celebrating it, but it's all coming against the backdrop of, Port Adelaide are coming, and we know they're going to come for good players. And we know they've been linked to Erin Phillips, who was very emotional um, post-match. Which, you know, I say it gives an indication of where her future lies. But there's got to be a huge temptation there to, you know, go and finish her career really at, at her family club in Port mm-hmm. Adelaide. They'll be coming for other players there. Was this the, you know, a feeling of maybe could this be a last hurrah? Like, not a full blown last hurrah, but if you're going to lose some big players. Instead of players from maybe the fringes, it could be difficult to go again.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. The whole kind of season for Adelaide has been very much one of can they go, can they go go again, can they win, can they do things, but also there's just been that jaws music of Port Adelaide creeping <laughs> up behind them constantly. It's been <laughs> literally for the for the whole season. It's you know we've contributed to that. We've spoken about where does Aaron Phillips' future lie, and I think. We talk about the dynasty chat. I do think very much so that they have created this dynasty, but if they are to lose as many key players as we think or if they aren't able to kind of secure the players that they need, this core group, then it feels like the dynasty very much will kind of live and die within this opening era of the AFLW. That being said, if they are able to retain enough players and you know bring in some new faces and keep things going we've spoken money you wrote about it in your piece for ESPN the culture of Adelaide and why it's been so successful why people choose to stick around if that's as strong a foundation as it appears to be then maybe you know next season's a little bit of a blip but they just kind of continue on their merry way but yeah at the moment it just seems like the, the impending doom that is Port Adelaide is set to kind of wreak havoc on the crows and how they actually recover from that and bounce back from that is going to be one of the really interesting stories, assuming we are starting again in August because it's it's a, a lot of time to kind of get, um, i trying to think of the right word here, ransacked but maybe not enough time to um, get, get enough reinforcements if that makes sense if,
0: if you if you' Melbourne in particular we touched on it and maybe Brisbane as well if Emily Bates doesn't decide to, to leave or maybe a Fremantle where you've already had your expansion hit mm. and not many players are likely to make a move from WA is this where you go now let's really keep them together because this is the year where you might be able to pinch one like pinch a flag because if Adelaide get hit hard, or these a lot of these expansion times, as you say, Marissa, aren't going to have a heap of time to, if it starts in August, to get off the ground running. Right? We know how difficult it is to put a full football program together. Like, look how fluent teams like um, Melbourne and Adelaide are, because and Brisbane especially, they're so system based. Because we we've talked about this, they because they've had so much time together. They've got players that have played for years together. It's something that um, Matthew Clark hinted at or said that a lot of continuity you've got players that have been there together for seven years if you have been somewhere like Fremantle or melbourne or even obviously brisbane who will be eyeing another two in three years surely you go no nah, let's stick together let, let other teams maybe get hit and see if we can grab one if you're playing your best footy like if you want to win a premiership that's what especially if you're freemantle or melbourne i think the two of the teams will maybe north melbourne as well um, who have been teams that have been there and thereabouts for a few years without managing to grab one. Go on. Let's just try and grab this one before the competition maybe levels out again
2: a bit. I think one team that's going to be really interesting when it comes to this is actually Western Bulldogs, because like, there was a lot of speculation around you know, Ellie um, Blackburn and also Kirsty Lamb. They've said that they're going to stay. It's looking like Bonnie Too Good may or may not stay with them as the core three, and Izzy Huntington is, was also said she wants to leave, but she's not playing at the moment. And the Western Bulldogs have, I mean, they were very close to a, a final's berth. They're looking incredibly strong. They're on an upward trajectory. And as you say, if all these other clubs do get uh, ransacked and we see a very different playing sides, and they've got that core group and that core culture they could be quite dangerous in this upcoming season.
0: I would like to actually mention that now you've you've said it, you've prompted it, Marnie, about the Izzy Huntington trade because yeah. it's been talked about in previous seasons and never happened. Like there's been links of Huntington to GWS, I think, because she knows quite a few players and there's some Melbourne Uni links and that sort of thing. Um, but for the, it was a very like quite lengthy release actually from the Bulldogs and Huntington, where she said that the decision to move is not football related. Having recently begun the long rehab process, my third ACL injury in combination with the current part-time nature of the competition, it's become increasingly clear to me that I can't make life decisions solely based on football with the opportunity to progress my studies and off field work interstate. It's the right move for me at this time. How damning is that on Mm. the, we've talked about professionalism, but for a player, a very talented player, a real face of the game who's had an awful injury run to say I, I'd love to be able to make this work at the Bulldogs, who've looked after me, who've had me through these various things, who I was a rising star with. To say I've got to start looking at what's after footy, and what's on aside from footy right now, because it's not going to provide full time. This it's pretty it's pretty heartbreaking for placement i'm sure izzy is very excited about the, the move from a football sense in terms of moving to sydney but we've seen it quite a few times we've talked about it with aflw and we talked about it with a league women as well that you know that they've made it so clear in this release and huntington in particular has made it so clear that this decision is not football alone it's i've got to look at my work and my study and my options outside of football because football's not full time it won't allow me to you know be a basically a full-time rehabbing footballer so it's um yeah it was pretty sad I thought to to see that but hopefully it's the sort of thing that can spur on some change.
2: And also I think a bit of a reality check for how we treat players when it comes to trade and you know there's a lot of words like well said. Betray, like betrayers that come up on social media and these are human beings and when you're in a semi-professional league and you're making all of these decisions based not just solely on whether you have strong allegiance to a club or not it's It's really good reality check for all of us to treat them like the human beings that they are.
0: And we may well see it in terms of we talked about the Adelaide, Port Adelaide factor, and Mm. we're going to see teams go to the Victorian and obviously Sydney, um, Rebecca Privatelli's moving from GDOS to Sydney. We're going to see players switch clubs. And um, there's two sides of it, obviously, Craig Stiles, which was very strong and scathing of the, the situation, the process by which expansion occurs of, you know, we bring these players up and they get ripped out. And Brisbane have had a pretty rough history of having their talent plundered through expansion and not just expansion, through trade and that. You think of Taylor Harris to Carlton, for example. Um, and you can understand the frustration and to an extent the fury. But um, there is also the situation of, a player might get a better career opportunity. So you might go from being a sort of tier three in terms of wages to tier two, tier one. Like if you can get that sort of move that maybe sets up your future a bit more, it's hard to to blame them sometimes for making these, or ever really for making these sorts of decisions. So yeah, it's, um, I, it kind of just shows where we're at. It's not that I'm not saying fans need to mature or anything, but while we're in a position where players are not full time and, you know, have to, add extra factors into these into these decisions. It's, it's hard to begrudge them for making the moves that they do. Um, but as I said, I think the teams that can sort of maybe keep their lists together or can maybe pluck out another player from somewhere or it's going to be, um, you know, maybe we won't just see the expansion teams come in and, and raid while they're busy doing their bit. You might see uh, some astute moves like we saw Melbourne do with a Purcell, for example, or Never know. It's going to be it's going to be fascinating I reckon and there's going to be some really really uh, I think juicy storylines to come of this expansion period.
2: I'm also really excited for all the young talent we'll see like someone second tier at the Adelaide Crows is never going to see a game because they're full of mainstays where you know you take out some of those key players and then some of the younger ones actually get to see a game and we could find some new stars.
0: Well Matthew Kiker actually said this he said it I think during the week and he said it post-match I think when he got asked about Port Adelaide he said every year I've been in the job I've had to speak to talented young South Australians and tell them no we don't Mm. have the list spots so those players are either going to get a shot now at Port Adelaide or at Adelaide like the exception is say like an Ashley Woodland who went to Melbourne and then came back and really developed now that pathway is going to be more local so when we talk about the the more part-time nature of the sport is going to be easier in that sense. Players, you'd think with expansion, it's going to be less likely that bar a player making a real Hail Mary, they're going to have to go interstate. And that, that applies to multiple clubs to, to get an opportunity. Sydney and GWS, it'd be a similar situation, I imagine, with local talent. So it's, um yeah, there is exciting opportunities. I think we'll see. Uh, you wouldn't be surprised to see maybe a drop in standard. I think that's to be expected because you're going to have a a level of I guess dilution like you know you're going to have more of the best players spread across more teams it's just what is going to happen but it's going to be exciting to see which young players can step up and fill the void because we're going to finally start getting into uh, once again years where the junior footy the the NAB league sort of comps aren't affected by COVID in the same way players are actually going to get their 17s and 18s years in and we've we're starting to see that with the the boys again. We'll see that with the girls again too. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be an exciting couple of years, I think.
2: We're talking about young. I guess we'll go the other side to experience. Marissa, do you have any thoughts about Daisy and Erin?
1: It's, you know, it was billed as the kind of the superstar fight between these two. But, again, the Jaws music of retirement followed them into this grand final. I'm stuck on the Jaws thing today. So yeah, forgive me it. for that. It's... It's my um, metaphor du jour, but um, I think everyone has so many ideas for these players and what they should do or what they look like they're going to do, what would make sense for the narrative, blah, 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 blah. But as we've literally just discussed with the likes of Anisie Huntington and with all of these players, none of these decisions are being made solely on football terms because they can't be made solely on football terms, you know. Erin Phillips was talking about how, you know, she's got three kids. She's got a wife. She needs to take things like that into consideration. She's been doing other work this season. She hasn't been a full-time athlete. Stuff like that needs to come into consideration as well. And it's the exact same with Daisy, mum of two, has a partner, has plenty of other work, you know, in and around her life. It's, It's not just a kind of simple matter of let's go again or let's go again at a different place. I hope both of them stick around because as a fan, it's always just bloody enjoyable to watch them play and there's still the whole narrative of Daisy not getting a flag at AFLW level, so you want that to kind of reach some sort of resolution. But I think it, it's not a very exciting answer, but they'll let us know their plans yeah. once they're ready to and it won't just be, yeah, I felt like it, so I'm sticking around. There's going to be so much discussion and consideration not just from their football perspective from the physical perspective there's going to be so many things that they need to consider and discuss and obviously I want them to stick around I want to watch them a little bit more but they'll they'll figure it out they'll let us know they'll know what's best for them which I think is the main thing and ideally if that aligns with what's best for the fans which is getting to watch them play for another season then that's awesome. That's it, isn't it? It's kind of
0: reflecting what we've seen in the men's comp for so many years where there's so much will they, won't they, is the time time up for this player that you don't get to really enjoy what they're doing in their final years. And I think that that commentary was around maybe Eddie Betts, for example, like still able to light up games when he wanted. You see some players sort of peter out and others um, look to go out on top and every individual player is different, right? Daisy Pearce like got switched to half-back and almost, you know, I thought it played a key role in trying to get Melbourne back into that grand final. She was an All-Australian as a forward. Erin Phillips that second quarter where she kicked a goal when Adelaide just seemingly couldn't buy one despite their dominance and went from one touch to seven in a very short amount of time. Like, These players can still have big impacts within games of footy and I think, Phillips, the overriding narrative has been more about will she go to Port Adelaide rather than will she finish? You never know what decision he's going to make. But, yeah, I'm sure they'll all make the the right decision for them. And I can't imagine either of them are the sort that would want to just make a rash decision based on how they went in this grand final. But if, as you said, Marissa had so many
1: different factors. This might roll into retiring players, Marissa. It does work into that way. But I was just going to say as well, I do wonder how much a potential August start date affects these players' decisions as well because it was definitely something that was mentioned by a lot of players not only from like a burnout perspective from a the physical perspective from their other jobs and trying to get more time off and annual leave and things like that so I do wonder how much of a an effect either positively or negatively a real quick turnaround for another season um, what kind of impact that will have on any potential retirement decisions for players but we have some retirements I need to get it up on my phone
2: so <laughs> we sing seeing a sad song where you get it up
1: yeah good idea we were we were discussing this pre-pod and i accidentally, thought that this was an in-memoriam, not just a retiring thing. So these players aren't dead and we're very happy about that. They're just not <laughs> playing footy next year. But we've got a couple of retirements. West Coast have seemingly lost a few players with Taylor Breslin, Andrea Gilmore and Courtney Guard all hanging up the boots. Ash Guest from the Bulldogs has been an integral part across clubs and across seasons, so she's hanging up the boots. Katie Loins has decided That footy is no longer her career of choice. We know she was huge at Carlton and obviously with the Giants as well. And Danielle Higgins at Geelong has decided to retire as well. But I think we'll see plenty more retirements as the weeks go on here.
0: Quick shout out to Ash Guest as well. We used to work together at Melbourne back in the day and um, she was one of those players who really took a gamble um, to get herself on an AFLW list. She moved up to Sydney to play with the Giants in their first season. She was drafted, went into the New South Wales draft, got drafted, came back, played for Melbourne and then obviously um, went across to the Bulldogs. Um, and, yeah, really, really solid career and really well-respected and I think well-loved teammate, a bit of a, a class clown, especially at the Dogs. Um, so good luck to Gessie to in her retirement.
1: Marnie, any thoughts on our retiring class thus far? It's just
2: a huge thank you to all of them. You know, you just touched on then the sacrifices that so many have had to make to play this game and to grow it. And we often talk about, you know, the pioneers of the league and it's the same names get thrown around, you know, your Pierce and your Phillips, but all of these players have contributed to what the league is today. And just a huge, huge thank you and recognition of that.
1: Very well said. So I think that's us done for season 2022. I don't know if we'll be doing any more episodes who know it could be very very soon if we do start in August once again but if this is our last episode for the season I want to say thank you for tuning in and listening to our our silliness and our takes for this entire season I want to thank obviously uh Eb Marinoff and Lauren Arnell our two guests for this season we absolutely loved having them on and I obviously have to say thank you to you too Marnie and Anna for Just bringing so much intelligence and so much heart to the conversations that we have. I, You make my job easy. You're both so articulate and smart and passionate about what you do. So thank you two for, for helping make this pod a reality and actually making it decent to listen to.
0: And Marissa, before you try and get away with closing out the show without letting us <laughs> thank you, um, thanks to you, Marissa, for wrangling us organizing yeah. the run sheets keeping mm-hmm. the pods on track and to really nice listenable lengths, and of course all the the knowledge and passion and intelligence mm-hmm. and care for the game that you bring every week um and not just every week every day to be honest so we're very lucky to have you too
2: Yeah, i completely That's second fun. that the the, the amount of times that i WhatsApp being like, is this anything? And you were so supportive and you were a cheerleader of both of us as well as this pod. I'm very close to singing a James Blunt song, I feel like. Oh the
1: feelings are just there. That, that is not how we should end this pod. I also <laughs> end it that way, Marnie. I have forgotten, but they've been absolutely integral. Matt and Jared for of all course. their help in editing and getting this pod out to you guys on a weekly basis. They do all the nitty-gritty behind the scenes, so we're very grateful to them. But... Hopefully, we'll be back for the next season. It's going to be exciting. We might be chatting to you all sooner than we think, but thank you for tuning in today and for the season. We'll see you all soon. (laughs)
0: Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the
1: ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.